steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord. We hear that a lot. We even sing it in our songs. But what does that mean and what should be our response when we recognize, realize, and get to experience the steadfast love of the Lord? And so if you would turn with me to Psalm 118, context for this is Psalm 118 is the last of what is called the Hallel Psalms. This was um, this was the final psalm that was sung during the Passover, and it would help them to remember the strong hand of the Lord as he delivered them out of bondage from Egypt and brought them. Remember, the whole point of the deliverance wasn't just that they would get out of Egypt. If you remember the instruction that that Moses gave to Pharaoh, it wasn't just let my people go. We like to stop at that. But if you remember the whole text, it said, let my people go that they may worship God. So the freedom was not just to live like you want. The freedom from Egypt for them was so that they can go and worship God the way God wanted in the freedom that he had given him. And so today, As we look at ourselves, spiritually speaking, when we talk about the freedom from the Egypt for us spiritually, which was sin in which we were in bondage to, and only God could deliver us, we're going to be looking at the steadfast love of the Lord delivered you and I who know Christ from sin, not so that we can live anyhow, but so that we may live to worship. And so understand the context of this is having been delivered for a purpose and with a purpose and on purpose so that they can live by purpose. Remember that this morning as we're looking through this and reading this. I'm going to hit on different parts of the psalm. It is 29 verses. I'm not going to read them all. I would encourage you to go back and to read it. I would encourage you to to spend some time going through it. And to see what your response is. I have as my title, The Steadfast Love of the Lord. But my subtitle is, What's Your Response to It? What is your response to the steadfast love of the Lord? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time in the word. I pray, oh God, that you would strengthen us. You would open our eyes. You would help us to see clearly who you are. And as a result, Father, you would lead us into the way that we would live after we see who you are. Father, we would see who we are and allow you to make the changes in our life. And so we pray this morning that as we're out here and those that can hear us, Lord, that indeed they would be blessed by your word, but they would respond in obedience, all of us, to your word. It's in the name of Jesus we ask and thank you. Amen. The psalm starts off, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. I'm going to stop just at that first point because I want to ask the question, what is the steadfast love of the Lord? We hear that a lot. And that word, when it talks about the steadfast love, that word hesed, which is a Hebrew that is used, that word talks about the loyalty, the unending, 
and undeserved love of God, but it is the loyalty. I want us to think about that for a second. The loyalty of God to his people. That doesn't even sound right. How is it that a supreme, I'm sorry, the supreme being, the one who has made all things and ruler over all things would be loyal to anything other than himself? Understand that when you said the loyalty of God, and we'll see later when he talks about God being on his side, he's not talking about God coming on his agenda. And we'll explain what he meant with that later. But I want you to hear it. God's loyalty to his people. The steadfast love is God's ability to endure with you because he chose to be loyal. See, loyalty for us, we don't fully understand it. I don't believe we do. I don't believe we fully understand it, what loyalty actually means. See, for us, loyalty, as long as you're good to me, I'll be good to you. As, as, as long as you do for me, I'll do for you. Or as long as I like you, I'll remain loyal to you. Or as long as there's some benefit, you'll be loyal to me. See, God chose loyalty when there wasn't anything about you and me that would draw him in other than his own choice. Understand that. It wasn't because you looked good, because your family was good, because you came from good stock, because of, and you fill in the blank. It's not because of any of that at all that he chose loyalty. It was purely out of the goodness of his heart and in his life purely that he did it hear that so when you get to the point when you get to the point that you begin to wonder if God can love you with the mess that you're in if God can care for you with the mess that you've made if God really desires you with who you are if you're having second thoughts about God coming alongside of you because you don't think you're lovable or desirable. Understand God's loyalty is out of his choice, not who you are. That should excite some people because I don't have to perform for the Lord to get his loyalty. I don't have to dance for God to get his loyalty, but I do want to live according to his approval. I do want to live so that he's at the point. I do want to live so that he is the one that is pleased with my life. Why? Because I know of his unending loyalty to me. Let me ask you, what is your response when you know you have the loyalty of someone in your life? What's your response to them? What has been your response? Do you blow them off? Do you use them? Do you take them for granted? Do you kind of just go past, oh, that's no big deal? Or do you spend time with them? Do you get to know them? I'm talking about in your human interactions. What do you do with people that are loyal to you? See, sometimes we take advantage of people that are loyal to us. Sometimes we underappreciate them. We've done that. Sometimes it takes 
us going through something hard and seeing that person come to our aid or being there for us or standing in the gap. And now we realize we got a ride or die friend. If that is your response in your human interactions, can I ask you, what is your response in knowing that you have the loyalty of the sovereign creator of all things? What's your response? Do you take advantage of him? Do you underappreciate him? Do you not spend any time with him? Do you casually blow him off? Or do you lean in and say, God, I want to get to know you more because I realize who you are and your loyalty toward me. Sometimes loyalty in our human interactions, the way we work in our sinful selves, sometimes our loyalties may not come out in the best way. We may have some unhealthy ways of expressing our loyalty, not so with God. I want us to hear that, not so with God. And we're going to see that. So he says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And that next point is a call to worship. He says, because of the steadfast love of the Lord, your response should be together, corporately, give thanks. And then he goes into this triplet that he also uses in Psalm 113 for talking about the community of believers. This psalm is a call to worship and a call of thanksgiving, not just by one individual, although there's an individual leading it. This is by the leader of the group, believed to be either king or leader of the military and is sung in procession. And so he comes and says, look, give thanks. Why? Because he's good. He's of benefit. He's of great use. He's that which is beneficial for us and to us. Why is he beneficial? Because he is loyal to us and it is not a temperamental loyalty. And so he says, then he goes and he calls to get a response to the different segments that he wants highlighted. He says, let Israel say, um, his steadfast love endures forever. Here, he is calling out to the people of promise, to the people that are in covenant with God. He says, let all of the covenant people say out of experience, that his loyalty toward us that we did not deserve is enduring forever. And Israel would say his love endures forever. So I'm going to call out as the covenant people of God, no, not Israel, but as his now covenanted through the blood of Christ, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, and are in a relationship because of the covenant that God has made with us through the blood of Christ, I want you to say just what he calls on Israel to say. He says, let Israel say his, there you go. So let's do it again. We're going to say his steadfast love endures forever. So let the covenant people of God say, 
Now, God doesn't want you just to say it. He wants you to live like it. He wants you to remember it. He wants that to be that which governs you as you live. I live under the love of God. I don't live to get God's love. I live because I'm loved. See, if you are living to obtain God's love, you are always worried that it's not enough and you should be because it's never enough. But if you are living outside of or from God's love, boy, have you ever met a person, a child that lives knowing that they're loved by an individual who's special to them? It's a whole different kind of relationship. You get a whole different kind of confidence. Then he says, let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. He is going now to not the whole house, but those that lead the covenant to people. That would be me and others who lead spiritually folk. And he says to them, leaders, you who are shepherding, you who are guiding, you who are leading others, and even if the others are your families, he wants your focus to be his steadfast love endures forever. And then lastly, he calls out just, just all believers in general, regardless of your position, status, influence. He says what? He says, let all the people say, or he says, let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. And so what does he do? He calls them out. Why? He says, for he's good. Then after the call to worship, he gives the reasons for worship. This is what I love. He gives some reasons for what he did, not just for him specifically. He's reminding the entire fellowship. And I want us, he's, in, 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 he's reminding the entire nation. For us, he's, in, he's reminding the people of God. Here's what he's saying. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. Now, his distress was as a leader because he realized something was happening. He says, the Lord answered me and set me free. But he wasn't just talking about him. I want to make a note of this. Sometimes as believers, we run the danger of being just me only Christians. That I'm only concerned and I only praise God if I am affected by the outcomes. That I can't get happy with you and for you. I can't stand on behalf of anyone else. And so it really doesn't matter if you're going through or if You've gotten a victory. As long as I get a victory, then I'll praise it. In this particular text, he is calling out on behalf of the nation. It is something when believers get excited, when the whole group is being delivered by the hand of the Lord and not just you individually. And you don't just get excited because I got mine. When you get yours, you get happy, but I got mine, so I'll get happy. And so he says to them, look, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. I mean, the Lord is on my side as my helper. I should look in triumph for those who hate me. Let's look at 
the goodness of what he did. One was this deliverance that he had. Verse 12 gives us more detail. It says, they surrounded me like bees. They went out and they went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed so hard that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. I want you to go back to that picture about the bees. I don't know if you guys, again, the psalm is full of these descriptors wanting us to get the picture. And in the poetry, when he says that he wants you to picture that the enemies were strong and were a dangerous threat. So much so that they were like bees that were swarming. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you've had bees swarming? I want to tell you about one I had. First one I had was when years ago um, at our house through a storm, I mean through a series of storms, part of the roofing had bowed upwards and there was some wasp that had gotten under and had formed a nest inside and it was so bad that they were coming in the house through the ceiling and down. And uh, that didn't bode well for the family at all when you have wasps dropping through the light fixtures into the house. And so I called out pest control and young guy, he comes out. I didn't know that he didn't know what he was, he didn't fully know what he was doing until he started doing what he was doing. And we're standing outside in the daylight because it was in the middle of the afternoon. And all I remember is showing him where they were coming good at. And he pumped his little thing and he was going to spray it. And I was like, wow, you're going to spray it in the middle of the day? You're not going to wait until, you know, like sunset when you're supposed to? But I didn't want to tell him how to do his job. And so he was pumping, pumping. And I'm standing behind him and he points his nozzle up and he sprays the hole. And all of a sudden, I realized the wisdom God has given to hornets or to wasps because they came out in battle formation. I had not seen that before. All of a sudden, there were several, like, like, like quite a few that came out, and they didn't just come right at us. They came out and made a right turn. And then I watched as they were coming around, and I was like, wow, the wasps are flanking us. And as the wasp came out, several right behind, right behind, they knew where the source of the stream was coming from. And as they started to bank and to come by us, homeboy who was spraying took his sprayer and ran. So you know what I did. I ran behind them. And I realized like bees, they were surrounding us. Get the picture. He said it was so dangerous. The enemy around us, it was like bees because their threat of surrounding us came with a threat of some more pain that was to follow. If indeed those wasps had gotten a hold of these two silly guys standing out there trying to hit a wasp nest in the middle of the afternoon, that if they had been able to fulfill their plan, there would have been some great pain. And he says for us as a fellowship, as a community of believers in a world that is hostile to God and his Christ, 
we have to understand that there are times that we will be surrounded, that there are times that they will threaten and push in on the community of Christ, that they will threaten more pain upon us as we live out our faith. But we have example here that God, in his loyalty to us, will not allow us to go down in the way that they plan, but his deliverance will be strong. Why? Because his loyalty, his steadfast love endures. This fellowship, this church has gone through some storms and there have been bees that have been hovering around and yet the Lord has delivered strongly, so much so that we sit here in the parking lot with a um, with a crowd of cars still listening to the word of God as they fellowship as a local body of believers. Don't tell me that the Lord is not good and that his love endures forever. And he says, remember that. Don't forget it in the next scuffle you get into, in the next hurdle you face, in the next things that is pushing back. As a matter of fact, look at how the Lord allows it to play out. Some of us pray that the Lord just keeps danger from us. That's not how it works with the Lord. Sometimes he'll let it hover. Sometimes he'll let you be right in the middle. It says here, the next verse, that he was pushed so hard that he almost fell, that he was pushed to the point where he could have stumbled. How would we have, how would he have stumbled? Look at the picture that he's painting. Well, now, how do we fall? We think that God isn't good. We think that God doesn't care. We think that he's not in it for us. We think that he is forgotten. We think that we're done. But he says, I almost fell. I like that because I like to tell people almost only works in horseshoes uh, or any other game like that where if you almost hit the target, it's good. God doesn't work in almost. You know, when kids have said, Mom, he almost made me fall. My mother would say, well, did he make you fall? No. Okay, well, then you're fine, son. See, the issue was almost just lets you know that the danger came near, but it wasn't able to succeed. And so the next time you say, God, we were, we were almost in a mess. God says, I know, almost, but you didn't get in that mess. Or God, that was close. It sure was. Aren't you glad I delivered you? God, man, it seemed like we were going to be in trouble. I know, but look at what I did instead. See, what the Lord is trying to remind you and I is this. Because of his steadfast love, his goodness is there so that the fellowship of believers can remember and have something to praise God about regardless of the threat of danger, regardless of what they do. I love what he says. Because of that, I am not afraid. He he said he was pushed hard and almost fell. But what did he say? I'm not afraid. What can man do to me? Well, let me go and answer the question. What can he do to you? Uh, He can hurt. Yeah, he can. He can call your names. He can take your job if God allows it. He can take you home. He may be able to cause some friends to turn on you. But hold on a second. What can he do to me? This is a what really is it that he does that is of any value and importance that he can do to me? Oh, it may hurt. As a matter of fact, as God allows, they may, they, they may even take your life. What can man do? do to me if you 
have settled in your life, your relationship with Christ, and your eternity is set right now, here's the statement. It's more of a statement than a question. What can man do to you? Nothing. Why? Because you are set in the Lord. And remember, even if your life is taken, and, and you know what? We don't want to see that. We know, because I know you will finish this verse, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The issue is, what can man do to me? In essence, he stands before the armies that were invading. He stands before the enemies that were pushing so hard that he started to stumble. And he said, what? What can you do to me? Because you don't realize God is loyal to me. And we have to remember that. He says, the reason for worship is the goodness of the Lord. Now, I want to bring you to verse 18. Because we only think of the goodness of the Lord when he does things that blesses us. Or, or that makes us feel good. The goodness of the Lord is also on the other side. Let me ask y'all a question. I'm not talking about abuse, but how many of y'all appreciate the discipline, the severe discipline of your parents over the years or of loved ones over the years? See, you didn't appreciate it at the time. Hebrews tell us that. No one enjoys discipline at the moment. But when you look back on it, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm really glad I got my butt beat sometimes because I was doing something I shouldn't. I'm really glad I was disciplined and put in my place by some parents that were good and that they loved me. Why? Because today I ended up being able to live in such a way that I am now enjoying life because I learned through discipline. What do I mean by that? Verse 18 says, the Lord has disciplined me severely but he has not given me over to death. And so I know here that he has said physical death, but for you and I, I can say, look, I'm so glad, both physical and spiritual. The Lord, there are times where he has disciplined me severely, but I'm so glad he didn't give me over to physical death at that moment, but even more, I'm glad he didn't, get me, he didn't bring me over to spiritual death in which I was sent into an eternity without him. Somebody needs to remember this morning, the goodness of the Lord is, is not just to keep you from or to deliver you in and from the enemy. The goodness of the Lord sometimes is to discipline you so that you know what he wants from your life and that he wants out of your life. Somebody right now may be going through a discipline from the Lord and you're just going, God, why are you doing this? God may be just giving you a nice little spanking on your little backside so that you remember that he is God and that you're not. What God may be doing is getting your attention so that he says, now, do I have your attention? Let me show you the right way to go. Discipline. There's nothing wrong with discipline. Not talking about abuse. There's nothing wrong with discipline as long as it points and it instructs in the right direction. And who better discipline you than the God, I mean, than the living God himself? And so understand when he says, the reason for worship is because of the goodness of the Lord, the goodness of God in deliverance, and the goodness of God in discipline. The steadfast love. And so he says to us, look, 
at the end, he says, you are my God, and I will give, verse 28, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. What is your response? We know that God is loyal to those that he has made a covenant with. And he calls us to worship so that we remember those times of deliverance. And he calls us in our groups and in our people that we come so that we realize that how he has delivered us and what he has delivered us from and what he has delivered us to. And that is to worship them. And from that call to worship, he gives us a reason to worship. The reason is that he is good. How is he good? That he takes us from and brings us out of the mess that we've created. He takes us from and brings us out of the situations that we find ourselves in that are pressing in on us corporately as a body of believers and individually as believers in the covenant. And he does that as he calls us because he is good. He shows it deliverance and discipline. And then our response is that we thank him. And here's what it is. Understand this. At our response, he says, it is better. It is better that we trust in God than man. It is better that we trust in God than princes. Understand when he says that. Verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. He's setting y'all up. He's setting us up. It is better to take refuge in the Lord, and that's all caps, which means the covenant making and keeping God, than to trust in princes. He says, what's our response? Trust God. What's our response? Stop depending on your network to pull it off. Stop depending on your influence to pull it off. Stop depending on the people that you know or your position or your status. Stop depending on that alone. Oh, you may use it, but he says, understand that your trust is in God. The call to worship is I set you free from bondage so that you might worship me. How do you worship God? By trusting him, by believing him, by obeying him, not just by saying and so this morning, as we finish up, I want to ask you, what is your response? Are you going to trust him? Or are you going to walk away? Are you going to trust in the character of God? Or are you going to ignore him? Are you going to trust in the loyalty that God has for his people and can have for you if you're not his people, but you can, com- you can become his people? What will be your response this morning? as you see the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I thank you so much, God, that you, an act of your own will, trust, an act of your own character, an act of your own holiness, you chose to covenant a people unto yourself and to be loyal 